This podcast is sponsored by Canaan Valley Spa and Wellness Center in Davis, West Virginia, a new destination in Canaan Valley. Go to www.canaanvalleyspawwv.com to learn more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Exceptional Parents Extraordinary Challenges podcast. I am Dave Gold, one of the hosts of the show, and today I am the only host because my podcast co-host Angie Shockley was not available and we were going to just jettison this week. But we thought, hell, we should just go ahead and solo. And this is great because it frees each of us to be able to to go alone in the event we can't get our schedules to mix. So I don't want you to worry. There hasn't been a palace coup. Angie hasn't been overthrown. It's just this week. It's just me. And you'll get an opportunity to hear just Angie's voice going forward in some of the episodes as well now. So I am here today with a very good friend, someone I consider a brother, someone who's been a business mentor and long suffering with me through many years, and someone who really ties together some of the more recent topics that we've had. So first, I'll introduce Tom, and then I'll tell you why what Tom has to say is so relevant and such a great continuation of what I'm doing. Tom Delonzo Baker, why don't you just introduce yourself, tell a little bit about what you do, and give us a sense of your rather seemingly challenging, but often ecstatic parental situation. <laughs> really the quick speed, because I know what I'm here for, what the podcast is about. So again, it's Tom Delonzo Baker. I'm Raleigh, North Carolina. As far as what I do for a profession is I'm a seminar guy, an online seminar guy for rehab professionals. I have a technique called total motion release, and you can look that up if you want to. But we're here today really talking about, I've got an awesome, lovely wife, and we have six kids. And as I like to say, we have four vanillas and two chocolates, the two youngest ones we adopted when we when they were literally cut the umbilical cord on one my wife did, and the other one we adopted at two days old, or one day old. And lots of stories to share about those things, but we're very heavily involved in and love the idea of both adoption and fostering. And we've answered a lot of questions years for people who may have been afraid of it or been more wanting to do it and wondering what the questions were because I think Sarah and I, that's my wife, have run into just about everything possible thing that you could run into in this. So we're going to have a lot of good talk in here today. And Dave, you ask me the right questions, you'll draw all that stuff out. So I don't think I even have to ask you any questions, but I'll just wind you up and let you go. But I will try to do it. So I don't know if you caught that, but we Tom had four biological kids and We've been friends for a long time, and I know that he was. They were looking to add to the family. And how many would Sarah have if you let her loose? Her number was always seven, so oh. we're still one shy. <laughs> okay, so you're still in the market. Uh, except we adopted the last. We adopted the last one when I was what forty six. Okay. And how old are your kids? Still, maybe was, she would still love to foster at a certain age of these kids. So we'll see what happens with that. Okay. One of the things that we've been talking about fostering. We talked. Julie and I talked about blended families. And then we've also just talked about what it's like having children with some kind of challenges, whatever it is. And you have you have some of the challenges that we talk about as well. But more than anything, you make it work. I want to just get into why why you decided to add to because I'm sure some of our listeners are thinking, geez, we'd love to have more. We don't know if we can handle more and how would that looks like. What was part of the thinking process that went into you deciding to add to your what, you, what was the end of your biological family? Yeah, this is a good, I don't know, there's a good story. It's our story, though. When my wife and I decided that we wanted to have kids, very quickly we got pregnant. Very quickly, nine months later, we had kids. So I think we got up birth control at one stage, and within a month, we were pregnant. So it's oh, yeah, all the happy story about that. And it was great. And we had two kids, not right at the same time, but we had one child. And then two years later, we had another. And we wanted to have another. And at that point in time, we had four miscarriages, not one, not two, but three <laughs> and four miscarriages. I believe in that stage, I probably won't get all this right. One of those were even in twins. So we had, we heard the heartbeat with two, two children and lost them. And I don't know how my wife kept her eye on the prize, even through all that, because she did. And it was not easy. So each time we had Another miscarriage, every time the pregnancy got more and more anxious, anxiety-ridden for it. Then we did have a healthy child. Then we had two more miscarriages. Then we had another healthy child. 
And again, my wife's target has always been because I guess her dad's family was from seven and she loved that family. And she always had it in her head, seven. And basically what she would do is every two years we'd have a kid and she'd determine if she felt like she was done or not. And she wasn't. So we tried after the fourth child and we had, we're up to, we had three more miscarriages. So what's the total and number for those keeping nine, score at home? Nine miscarriages, 11 pregnancies. Because again, in the last three, we had some twins too. So yeah, nine miscarriages, 11 pregnancies. So I don't like to tell people that are pregnant or something or that have had a miscarriage, the number that Sarah and I have, because I'm not trying to discourage them. But yet we have felt the pain that people go through and have gone through and chosen to either continue or not to continue. So we can sit there with you guys and really belly up to the bar with you in sadness or go and see how we eventually got to wanting to adopt. Okay. So let me so, just pop, let me pop in for a second. Cause this is a good, what we found in this podcast is that the stories, people may not have gone through that many miscarriages, but it always, there's always applicability just to, to parenting. How did, you know, I don't look at you. I don't look at you as someone that you and Sarah, some people that have lost that many, they had that many failed, failed pregnancies. We yeah, so how, why, how is it that, cause so many of us can define our lives by the disappointments in life and specifically with the disappointments we experience in parenting. How is it that you don't, you did not allow that to define your parenting journey? Ooh, that's a hard one because it goes differently. And I know when we're in the middle of it, you got to understand we're many years out from it. It, for me, it was just supporting her. And then from that is that it was hard until we had another child. And then when we wanted to have another one, it was hard thinking that what might happen again. So once we did it, once we had that child, it pushed away the negative and pushed away the sadness. So I can't say any more than that because I know some people go through one-time miscarriage and they just can't handle that grief to be able to go through for a second one. And I understand that completely. And like I said, it's the strength of my wife that made it through all those and still has a positive outlook on children and pregnancy. And she'd love to this day to be pregnant again because she loved being pregnant. <laughs> even through even through that scared. Our, all ours happened within the first 12 weeks. So usually when we got past that, we were doing okay. But at least get past the 20. And, then and just so people don't think okay. that you're that Sarah is barefoot and almost always pregnant. What is it that your wife does for a living? <laughs> yeah, my wife's an attorney. So yeah, she's an attorney, but she's got a great mommy job. She travels around the state doing bankruptcy, a claim and delivery kind of stuff. So she might leave at six in the morning, be back by 12 or two. And she might have three trials a week, two trials, four trials. So it's just a nice, we are very fortunate to be able to have her have that flexibility as the kids have been young. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This episode of Exceptional Parents and Extraordinary Challenges is being brought to you by Mindfully Aware. Mindfully Aware is my company. And through Mindfully Aware, we offer services for folks who are looking for ways to find healing in their lives or looking for ways to just live a more intentional life and finding true purpose and meaning. So if you're interested in the services, you can visit our website, livingmindfullyaware.com. You can also reach out to me directly, mindfulangie at gmail.com. So is there anything just before I want to move on to the your some of the challenges and rewards that you've had through fostering and adoption? Is there anything else you want to speak to parents who have experienced that, had gone through not as many as you, but have gone through the heartbreak of that? And people talk about waiting and people talk about not trying again or trying again right away. Or I know it's individual, but if you were just going to offer some. Sometimes people might ask. Did we do in vitro to do any of this stuff? No, this was all, there's no in vitro. And again, I understand many people, there's some people do that and then miscarriage from it and stuff, but this was straight getting pregnant. So we didn't have a problem getting pregnant. We had a problem keeping it. So we may relate differently than people that had went through it and different. But I know that the biggest thing is that if you get to a point when you basically said you've had enough, but you still want children, there is another way and a couple different ways to then still have them. 
which we'll go, we'll talk more about here in a bit, that all this, you're going to have people ask questions that really reactivate maybe the fears in you about what adoption means and what we had adoption of a different color, what that means and what people are going to say and what's it going to be like and what things do you have to prepare for or don't prepare for. So just start telling, you know, you can start. Just with, tell the story. If you live, like, start with number five. Right. Yeah. So after our fourth child, actually, it was a unique story, too, is that my wife actually had not had a pap smear in three years because we kept getting pregnant. They kept thinking that we had one and didn't. So she actually had a cervical cancer scare 11 years ago or something now. And that, you know, that finalized the idea because and she was fine, it was encapsulated and nothing had spread. And it basically is at that point in time, her cervix is very, not very thick enough to carry a baby. So we didn't have a choice. If we wanted to have more, we had to either foster or adopt. Now, I'm going to take a step back. In after we had our second child, and then the four miscarriages, we decided to go to foster and so we started going to the foster classes and we were literally graduating into the foster thing, which is a several week program. And we found out we we're pregnant. So you can't foster if you're pregnant. So there was one thing that we went all the way down the line, got it. We had, we were happy. We had another child. And then, and then we ended up having, we had a couple more missions and had another. So we've gone down the foster route. And we said, did we want to go there or did we want to try to go and adopt? And we decided that's usually because we did want to go with an infant. We wanted to go with infants. We weren't quite ready because our kids were at a certain age. We felt fostering at that time maybe wasn't what we wanted to do. And we, so we can went. Can we go back for a second and just tell yeah. us some of those considerations? Because I'm sure there, there are people who are during the situation you found yourself. Whether you wanted to foster, whether you wanted to adopt, you mean? Yeah, in terms of like the well, age and how the ages of your current children, your then your biological children affected what you were thinking of in terms of bringing another child into your family. It's interesting. I, I think it happened more to do with my wife exploring adoption, where we hadn't done a lot, I don't think, before, but I could be totally wrong about that. And we just explored it more and discovered that, hey, why don't we give it a try? It was, it might have been, it was more, it was a lot more expensive to adopt. We were in a financial better place at that time than we were when we initially had the, the, when we went to foster the first time. So sometimes it has to deal with that because it's pretty ridiculous how much kids were even 12 years ago. So that, that can be a big deterrent. And I can tell you at that point in time, a kid was $30,000 in the whole process usually through, which is as much as in vitro fertilization. From there, now I can talk about, and you just stop me and ask questions along the way. We had to determine what, did we want to have a Caucasian baby? Are we okay with African-American? Are we okay with brown, black, Chinese? What do we want? And we said, we just want to have a child and we just want to, we don't care. It's going to be wonderful. We definitely had those considerations. People would ask, do you really want to bring another child in? And this was from white people and African-American people because we chose, hey, we'd be happy to get an African-American baby. Now, along the way, these are the kind of things that happened. We were two, we were older and we already had four kids. We thought that would put us at a, like maybe looked at is not want the mother would want to choose us, but we've found it as the parents wanted the mother that was given to the child wanted that because they wanted their kids to have a family like that. And so we were looked at uniquely in, in a, a benefit sort of way, which we never thought would be the case. And we didn't just like have We had babies that we were going to adopt that we lost. For example, the very first child that we got a call and said, hey, you're going to, you, the person has chosen you. There was a lady that was in a in the penitentiary down in Florida, believe it or not. And now I will share this as a dad. When my each of my children were born, every one of them as they came out of the womb, I cried a tear. Every single one, as soon as I saw that life of that child. And I didn't, I was worried I wouldn't have that same connection with that child. 
See, I'm going to get teary-eyed just thinking about this. That phone call that we got saying that there was a child available and they chose us just made me do the exact same thing. I knew when I saw that child, it was going to be the same thing because I had that same presentation. So I don't recall, and I'm sure my wife would, why did we lose that child? I can't remember whether she got out of jail, whether she chose to have it, whether she got the idea that maybe they said she could have it in jail. I don't know, but I forget why, but we lost that child. So we didn't get it. So my wife went into a diligent search of how can she facilitate this process? And my wife must have contacted a dozen to 20 agencies all over, I think it was all the country, but also here in North Carolina. And she had a system down so well that she has since given this to people. And again, you guys are going to say, hey, can I help you? Can I help you? She may still have that. But she found somebody who we've had friends come over that took two years trying to adopt a baby. She gave them what they were doing. And then three months ahead of child just because she got in with people. And, and I can't tell you how amazing it was. Yeah. And I also want to keep them. going, David. You want to interject? No, you go great. I just got to every now and then got to hear my voice. But no, I just my <laughs> own experience. And Tom, it's so great because I, I was with you through all this. I just remember. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember the kid in the penitentiary. I remember this. I remember all that. I remember your wife's illness. I remember you. And I think anybody listening should just think, where do you find men like Tom? And I don't know what the answer is. I just, but he's just such a loving father and husband and successful guy. And it's just a tribute a testimonial that you can, you really can do a lot of things and be good at a lot of them, and including being a husband and a father. But I know that with that, with Abby, when we adopted Abby, it was like the doors just, the Red Sea parted. We went to all the work, but then you can feel there's a point. I don't know if you had this experience or I'm just being superstitious, but I got to the point where I thought, oh my God, I can just see this kid's meant to be our daughter. And we went through all these things, but then you just get that sense where you see how all the work you've done was helpful. But really when it comes down to it, it's almost be, before this life ever happened, Abby chose us and we chose her. I don't know what yeah, that experience was like. With, without a doubt, our, so... When we then got the call to that we got chosen to have our first child, adopted child, Lindley Rose, same type of sense of, wow, going to be a dad, going to be mom and dad, went over us. Sarah went and met her. They had a great communication. It was like really bonding type experience. Now, there's something called, it, it, what's it? The, the You may know this more what it's called, but... The baby that the, our first child was up in Pennsylvania. We're here in North Carolina. Reciprocity. Reciprocity. So you got the ability. So up in Pennsylvania, you have 30 days for the mother to change her mind and choose to take the baby back. North Carolina is seven days. So we got her to sign papers because this was allowed that it would be a seven day period of time that she had to decide whether she's going to take to keep the child or not. Now, remember, we had four kids back here. So I stayed at home, worked as my wife went up there, which was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, when their delivery was happening. And they really hit it off still. It was a great bonding experience for both of them. The child was born. The she got to, the mom got to hold the baby. This is the period of time that you have to recognize when you adopt that the child, the, the child is having the baby. Usually they're pretty young can choose to keep the child. And we know that, right? And we know even in that seven-day period. And she, my wife, got to take the baby home. She actually, not home, but she got to take her to, actually, we had an aunt and uncle up there. And she got to go there. Day two, she got a phone call from the mom saying she wanted the baby back. And just, my wife was devastated. Remember, she's been sitting there feeding for two days. She calls me up. She's crying. I'm up to, I'm in the car. I think I call my parents. You got to come over. I'm in the car driving up. As I'm driving up, she goes, the grandmother of the, the Lindley Rose call, or called the birth mom and said, we need to discuss this again because she was a very poor family. They didn't have the means or resources. This child wasn't going to be able to be fed and cared for. And they, she changed her mind again. And for the rest of the time, she was fine. But again, so we had that fear of it being taken away. The person said, I want it. 
My wife had to go through that. We also had a similar experience with my other one. We then had to wait it out for the seven days. And thankfully, it was seven days, not 30. I think yours might have been 30 days. If I remember you talking, Dave. I can't remember. Yeah, I'm going to share some of my stories, but I like you to finish. Again, luckily at the end of, but I will say when I went up and saw that baby, and again, for the very first time in the crib, that tear came down my eye because there was no, there was not a single hesitation that you didn't love that child as much as one of your own. It was just, it, they're just, even when my wife and I see a baby out, out in an infant and stuff like that, if they somebody gave us that baby right then and there, we'd have the same presentation, that feeling. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if I've shared this before, but we, when we would have been in the delivery room, except Abby came a little early. So we were there the next day and I got, they took this 20 hour old newborn out of the hands of the birth mom and put her into the hands of my then wife, Kathy. And I think I, one of the things I saw was, and the thing is the birth mom, she was 21, but she was so resolute. She knew what she, she knew what she wanted to do. She knew what she needed to do. And there yep. wasn't you know, as too. much as we thought, oh, anytime she's going to change. I could just see she she knew. And she wrote us this beautiful note later and saying how grateful she was. But she knew she couldn't give the Abby the life wow. that we could Which was really, it was just heartfelt and beautiful. But as soon as you talk about the response that you had, as soon as Kathy held Abby, Kathy became a mom. It was boom. Yeah, that, it was like done. Here's Kathy's in her forties. She's never been a mom, but boy, as soon as she held that baby, it's like it all kicked in. And then, as soon as I, it was my turn to hold Abby. And I was, and unlike you, I had reservations because I'd waited so long. I was forty nine years old. I wanted my own child. I didn't want somebody else's child. All this male crap. And but as soon as I held Abby, boy, it was it was lights out. It, it was done. And I. I think I told, I know I told you, I don't know if I told the audience that I heard a voice saying, you are my beloved daughter. I will love and protect you all the days of my life. And it's a cinch deal. Yeah, it makes me just tear up from that. Yeah, if you ever worry, if you're out there listening to this and you're worried that you won't connect. Oh my God. Oh my gosh, you will. And people ask, I don't know if they ask you, I'm sure, because it's pretty clear. These came from one parent. These two parents probably come from the same. But they say, do you feel different, differently about Abby than you would your own child? It's such a dumb question because how do I know I don't have another one? But my God, you just can't imagine loving <laughs> loving them anymore. I do and I don't. Yeah, I do and I don't at all. No, not a bit. Yeah, yeah it doesn't even quit. I went now. I wanted to share it. And I think this is neat that this is two guys sharing their stories yeah. rather than this is probably an angle that doesn't always happen. We kept open communications with the mom. Sarah's always sent pictures. We usually, in the early on, we'd go up every year. Probably now we go every year and a half to two years up there. I know early on, it seemed very, it was difficult for my wife. It was difficult for my daughter. It was difficult for the birth mom, just because with expectations or not not knowing what expectations were with everybody, what's it was going to look like. So we've probably gone up, she's 11 now. We've probably seen her six or eight times, the birth mom. And I will say that this last time that we saw, and I always say this is that sometimes I feel like Lindy Rose is in more little bit more turmoil mentally when she has gone up or thinking about going up. But this time there was something I think that was very cathartic for everybody, maybe stabilizing or something. Yeah. All the, her extended family from that side came. What was her birth grandmom, her, the sisters of the birth grandmas actually young too. So she's got kids around those age, the moms, ki- other kids came and, they showed love to Lindley Rose and the other way around. And Lindley Rose could feel that she didn't belong, but at the same time did belong. Like she had this, at any point in time, she turns 18, goes, hey, I want to go up there and meet them. She won't be meeting them for the first time. She's actually feels, I think, a lot of love in it, which is so powerful. And it, it, when we got done this time, it felt like we were, if you Eat again, you'll decide whether to be to allow the birth mom to see your kids or not. But I'm telling you that we allowed, and it's been no fa- two families are the same, and it's been I think beneficial for both, and I think it evolved the way it wanted. And just like you said that 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 birth mom wrote the note to you, I think it's been something that's allowed Lindley Rose and her birth mom be connected 
in a way that they know that they can pick up wherever they leave off. I just think you're so lucky and she's your daughter's so lucky because is what I do and and, and it's a parenting mentor or whatever, but is that adoption and having gone through with what I've gone through a lot with Abby in terms of of our own process of understanding what makes her tick and why she is the way she is and helping her to become the, the most authentic and full version of herself is that abandonment wound is so strong. And to be able for her to have that, for to be able to have that connection, that direct connection with her mother is just such a blessing. I'm pro- I don't know exactly the way Linda Rose feels because she's not one to share a bunch. But I like that. her from maybe in her mind going, I wish I was there, I wish I was there, or this was here, or I'm stuck in the middle here. I think it, it helped her. She's only 11 now. She's a very mature 11. But I think if this keeps continues to happen at 14 and 15, she's going to be able to create a relationship in a in an adult sort of way. And, and I think one of the things that's so good. I'm, it, I'm glad is, we did it. And if. Yeah. No, I, I was going to no, finish your thought. No, I'd mind. no, is if whichever way, if you're listening to this and you're wondering what will that look like? And I will say the first several times is very stressful. Yeah. Especially on my wife. But this last time wasn't. And so it's nice to see, like I said, the anxieties on both sides, both times get off. And the mom, birth mom gets to see that the child is in a loving place. Maybe she's been stepped off enough to say, whoa, I get where they're at. The now adoptive parents and the adoptive child gets to feel a certain way. And I, for Lindley, I think it lets her, not that she doesn't have maybe attachment or detachment kind of issues. Because my two kids are totally different, even the way they think and talk and do things in, as being adopted or not adopted are two different stories, too. Um, so anyways, I just wanted to share that that it's a yeah. it's an and, amazing journey either way. I, and um, we've learned, had when I. Yeah. Uh, no, I was going to say, when I talk about Sadie, you'll see other parts right of negative happen. But how did you keep fortitude? Because I want you anybody who's listening to know there have been others that have gone through difficult times, too. If you're going through a difficult time, say you've already adopted and you had this same experience or going through that experience or worried about it, you get through it. You do. Yeah. And you do. And you knew, you know, you knew Kathy and you know that she was a she was the one that worried and planned. And I was the one who didn't worry and didn't plan. And and there's no way that you no matter how much you try to manage it or prepare for it or think it through or get advice it's just going to go the way it's going to go and so it has its own the whatever the whole process but especially you're talking about the relationship between biological parent and adoptive parent you can't map it out and i just found the more in my own case and the case of others i work with is the more ease you have around it the better it is because they pick up your attention becomes their attention your concerns become that they wonder, well, I'm not worried. Why are they? What am I missing? That my parents are worried sick about I'm having this, I'm having this yes. visit. Yes. Especially like we always say that the first child always seems to have the most anxiety from parents. I mean, adoptive children, right? just parents having their first child, it's anxiety been like, am I going to be good? Are we doing it right? Blah, blah, blah. And then adoption comes up and very similar things come about. But Dave, if I can share the second story. Yeah, I want to. I, I, actually, I want to go to one thing and then I want to. No, go ahead. I want to ask you how your biological children, because I've got to see it. And I don't want to do a spoiler alert, but I do want to talk about how they responded to your, how your biological children adopted, to your adopted children. You can put that in now or you could do Sadie and then wrap, circle back to it, whatever you wish. Yeah, remember that one. That's a good one because those are, that's really awesome. They were awesome about it, but I can share. They really are. I just can't tell you. Again, spoiler alert, just to go over to your house and watch the first case. So we're on the top. We're on the, we're on the topic. Yeah. You know what? Let's get through the negative kind of stuff and then we'll go to that one. That's all positive kind of stuff and that's fun. It's rather end it. So we had Lindley Rose and after a period of time, again, ladies that you're listening, you're the feel of, am, am I done or not done? Am I done having kids or am I not? Sarah, Sarah goes with Lindley Rose that she said, she goes, I could not be complete, but she goes, I now have lost the anxiety. I can't or I want, but she goes, I can be complete if need be, but I wouldn't turn down a chance to have another or something. However, let's see, they're two years apart. Now, we didn't go through any adoption or anything like that, any stuff going on. 
I was sitting here in this room nine years ago, and my wife comes in. I said, what? And, oh, no, I take it back. I got to step back for a second. After a couple of years, it's always two years, my, my wife decides whether she's getting antsy or not. She said, I would like to see if we could get one more kid. I said, all right, because we have a girl, a boy, a girl and a boy, and we had a girl. And we said, look, it would make sense to have a boy. Right? And everybody's paired off, and we said that would be cool. So we went through the adoption process again, lined up with a lady in Florida who was having a baby boy. And oh, it was just awesome to see. We flew down. We met her, the agency. Now, we each of these things, we got chosen late during the adoption. Linda Rose, like it, three months out at this lady here, it was probably three months out too. Linda Rose might have been a month out, but anyways. At that time, you pay for their rent and you pay for some things and you pay the agency. And probably that one, we put out 10 grand. And we had a date that the baby's supposed to be born and met the lady. And we I was actually, I was more, I was anxious about this one for, I don't know, something just didn't feel right. I thought it was the agency lady. I met the agency lady. I got, this just doesn't, this is weird. And then, but I met the birth mom. We met the birth mom. And now I was like, I'm much more secure feeling about this adoption because of the birth mom. Sarah and her, we can still connect. We'd say how we've been open with the birth mom. She was all for it. The day that she's supposed to go into the hospital, my wife flies down to Florida, getting all ready to go. And there's no word from birth mom. So I think actually she even called her two days. Like it was a Monday. She was supposed to deliver on a Thursday. Sarah went down on Monday or Tuesday. She'd been talking up to a point in time. The day of the birth, no communication, nothing. Call the hospital, not checked in anywhere there. The agency can't find her. And at point right there, we realized there had been, and we've been ta- told about this, scams going on in Florida. That these birth parent, birth moms would try to get all this payment so that they could live off of these, this money that was paying their rent. And then they'd leave with the baby. And we're like, there's no way this can't be, right? No way. Sarah began calling around to other hospitals. She found that she actually delivered on that day, left the hospital, never said a word or anything. It wasn't one of those situations where she was going to deliver she chose to have the baby, which is, again, within all their rights. And we understand it. And we understand when you see that baby wanting to have the baby and keep the baby. But yeah, this was a total scam. She had set the whole thing up. And we were devastated. What the hell just happened? And that was in a that was in January, nine years ago, whatever that is. And we were done. We just said, she goes, yeah, I don't want to go through that again. That was a lot. She goes, I do feel like I've gotten the mommy thing out of me, and that's fine. Okay, that's okay, cool. Three months later, so that was January, March 10th. She comes into the office. She goes, Tom, I got a, somebody's on the phone, an agency on the phone saying, they have a baby for us. And I said, okay. She goes, what do you think? I go, what do you think? I said, first of all, when? And they said, to tomorrow and i said tomorrow oh and <laughs> it's like can you call him back can we sit and talk about it for a second actually she sat down she's on the phone and i said yes just like that as soon as she said yeah i said yes and they couldn't tell us where it was yet because we hadn't accepted it and then we signed and they did i think they were able to tell us it was in north carolina and it'll be in fayetteville like 45 minutes from us so we had Sadie, 45 minutes, like a conversation. We had stopped wanting to adopt. It's just one of the agencies knew that we'd wanted kids a while back. They just happened to have somebody. They couldn't find anybody a day out and asked us and seen we were close by whether we wanted to. Now, again, continue to stop me anytime because this stuff just doesn't, this stuff is insane to me looking back over it. We drive down to Fayetteville Hospital. We get there. The mom actually does not want to have anything to do with the child. Not in a negative way. I'll tell you about the birth dad here in a minute. And 
the nurse who, again, is African-American baby, African-American mom, the nurse who's African-American is trying to convince her, no, she does not want to not put the put the baby up for adoption. She's fighting her putting up for adoption. So she goes, okay, we don't, or she doesn't want to. And she really did want to. So we're down there. And I said, are you kidding me? And we had to leave without a baby. And I'm driving back. I'm pissed. And I'm sad. And I'm just, and I remember pulling to a gas station to get gas. And I said to Sarah, I said, how can you be so calm? And she goes, because it's happened before. Hey, you never know. In an hour from now, we might get a call. And it, it, they change their mind. Sure enough, we drive in away. 45 minutes away, they call us and say the same. They say, she wants to give the baby back. She wants us to have the baby. We get back to the hospital. I think we actually, it was overnight. We went back the next day. Go back to the hospital. Mom has checked out. Lydia has left the hospital. Baby's there. Her, her caseworker is still trying to get this baby. Now, not to the mother, but to some, to like foster or something. She's fighting this child going to a white family. And this nurse, and sorry, that was a nurse. The nurse got it so a caseworker had to come before we could take this child and do all this stuff with us because of this resistance from this nurse. And the caseworker goes, I've never experienced this before in my life. Usually everybody's all happy. So I got to go through the rigmarole and tell you this. I've got to come see the house, but you can take the baby if, it, if I approve it. We had to wait there for a couple hours. I can't remember. Three, four, five hours before we got the permission to take little Sadie. And then we got permission to take Sadie. Now she had already signed away her parental rights and she was okay with it. And again, we had it, all at the time said we're open to have an open relationship. So Sadie gets to come home with us. And we're thinking it's done and over with and whether you know it or not, you have to advertise, you have to post that you've, when you adopt and you have to try to find the father. Because the birth mom said she didn't know who the father was or something. So when that's the case, you have to try to find birth father. Birth father steps forward eight months after we have the child, after we have Sadie. And wants to, wants and is contesting it. Not to the point of wanting it, but saying that I exist. So are you kidding me what does that mean so we do what we know to do and we're going to be open to the idea we're going to go to and check out we're going to go meet him we're going to say he can be part of her life yada 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 where do we end up meeting him in prison we go to the prison watch him he can't he, he's in a high maximum security prison because he's a in a top level he's a top level of a gang member and he's in jail for the next month or something because of something. It might even be longer. So we meet him on a screen, basically. Now, something about him was very charismatic. And he said, no, I, I, he was smart enough to say, no, I think it's best for my child to be with you. A couple weeks later, he contests it because his mom, who's a crackhead, and he's had, who he was in foster, he was in 17 different foster homes, now wants to take this child. So. Then enters our whole deal of now we have to get an attorney. And now many of you are going, why do I ever want to go through this with a kid? I hope I'm not discouraging. I'm saying to you, even if you end up going through this horrible, hard stuff, it does have a, usually a wonderful end where it at least did for us. We had to go to court. We actually went to the jail and we had an attorney had to address him and everything he was saying. Basically, all he had to show was that he had bought a car seat, any financial support he'd given there, and he would have had right to that child. Luckily, our attorney did this plea bargain, bargain thing with him. Just plead with him, said, these people have it for eight months. Look at these people. Where do you think this child's going to be the best place for them? And just didn't ream them in New Hazard, just looked at him and go, what, what would you do here for this child? He stepped back. He was all good. You know, the, the grandmother got involved. So we had to go to court. He's 20 minutes late for court. He's a very charismatic guy. And we go, oh, my God, he's gonna, he has a chance to suck up to the judge. All right. And we really did not know what was going to happen with the judge. 
And the judge was very much asking all the questions. Did you give any support? Did you give any support? Luckily, she saw the idea because my wife had to, prior to going, had to call the courthouse and say, you need to have guards in there. And they said, no, we don't. It's just an adoption case. They said, pull his file. Go to Fayetteville judge in court. We had three or four guards sitting there. Finally, they found out, found out that he was a high-level gang member. He did set, uh, 12 years in prison. All right. And they came. <laughs> you would think the judge would rule right away. It would be ours, but it wasn't. He stormed out of the courtroom. And for some reason, me, as this still makes me cry, I go out there with him. And I give the guy a giant hug. And I said, you're still her birth daddy. And you're still allowed to be with us. And he goes, and he grabbed me and he hugged me. He took me by the face and he said, I want you to just tell her that her dad didn't stop fighting for her. And he goes, I know she's best with you. And ah, God, it's hard. And he would still call me every six weeks. And just to ask, you know, send me some pictures. We talk. He would talk. And because at that instant, this high level gang member, this person that, that had been in jail for he was actually involved in a shooting, a killing, actually, or maybe a shooting and was sitting there talking to me one on one as if, hey, I did something great. And I was his best friend all of a sudden. That is with that. We got to, and there's even drama about what we had to do in order to present the case that we're not going to go about with. But that was our end product of our second child. All so right. I have it's a couple, because we're getting close to the end here, and I want to, there's a, eh, not that close, but pretty close. There's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about there, which is I know when we were looking at adoption opportunities, that when they presented opportunities, they sent us like questionnaires about the parents and look in the background and how is their oh, yeah. natal care and all that stuff. And if you looked at Sadie, that's not exactly an enticing picture. Okay. So how do you know you didn't do it? Yeah. Again, remember this was a day we didn't have that build up. We didn't get <laughs> that because it was a day. Someone's before. considering that. Obviously, you don't want to say, hey, don't, you know, don't. Ignore the warning signs if you got some problematic stuff in the background. But at the same time, it was so problematic. You got yourself a gem. Yeah, it was. This was. Yeah. And we were scared for some period of time and we got some raises, fear factors of it. And and again, we even it sounds crazy, but we even met him afterwards. When the mom actually wanted nothing to do with the child. He did in a low key sort of way. And we went down to low like a McDonald's and got in with him and stuff. But just so anybody knows that he ended up actually getting killed by one of his gang members that he was trying to get out of, but during COVID. And just think about that. And I don't know what people's, whatever your philosophic beliefs are, just what a blessing it was that you were able to give Sadie a father before she lost her biological father. What a gift. And he would say, he also said that too. He would say, that you he know he knew that he, she was in the right place and he wished i think he even said i wish you could have adopted me when he was that age um, um, oh my god so the answer the other question about the kids the kids how do they take them our kids so we have bigs lit middles and littles and they're the littles that we adopted and so they have three sets of parents because everybody is from day one so give you the, the, the age range so we have a nine to 22 so we got 22 year old at 20 a 17, 15, 11, and nine. And from the moment that they came home, so let's see, 11. So the young, oldest was 11 at the time they came home. All right, baby came home. The first baby came home. And I will tell you, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Because they helped. They wanted to help. They got the idea of it. And all the way along through, they have like my second oldest, has a unique bond with Sadie, who's the youngest. Pictures, and they're always together. He's got them on the shoulders and stuff. I've got my oldest child, Amelia, who, when she went away to college, she wanted to choose a college close by because she goes, I don't want to not see the younger kids grow up. So always taking on the role of they were the little kids, almost like they were my kids too. And every one of our kids will tell you that they may not want to have their own kids, but they at least want to adopt. <laughs> Right. That's how much of a toll it took. And to this day, even the little ones say, when are we going to adopt another one? And they even to the degree of they'll they've known that we brought foster. And they say, let's go foster a kid. Let's go foster a kid. So it's very much 
bred into our entire family that we love it. And I will tell you, we remember we have vanilla and we got chocolate. You want to unite the world. Everybody should, whether if you're African-American, you should adopt a white kid. If you're white, <laughs> you adopt an African-American and all the other ones you have problems because because you will see things and you will feel things. There's no other way to get rid of <laughs> prejudice and racist. There sure is real quick if you do this way. I just remember every time I've walked into your house, especially when they were little, there was never any sense that they were being patronizing or that they were just acting this way. They just, they're just a family. It's just a family. Yeah, it was, I will tell you, it was tough on my in-laws at first. Yeah. My wife had to set down the ground rules. This was before we adopted. This is what we're doing. It's how it's going to be. Don't like it. And I remember they were a little standoffish when we first got the grandkids. And I don't mean because they're necessarily African-American. I'm just saying we've got more kids. And I remember my father-in-law was was thinking, oh, something happens. Who's going to support them? Who's going to do this? And so just having more kids was one thing. But then adopting was another stickler. And my wife, again, handled it with such professional and such this is our life this is what we're doing and then they've come into the fold and everything else and everybody's big old extended family so i don't know what lesson i don't think there's any necessarily lessons you take away from this because you're just you guys are just so unique and every everybody is obviously very different with different why do you but if we have to throw our hat at it why do you think this has been such a success story well, I don't think, I don't know. I don't think life's meant or is always or meant to be fair or not hard. It's just life and there's hardness in it. And there's things that we wanted. And we we're willing to go through that pain to get to the end product. And again, at any stage of the game, it couldn't have gone not, it could have gone against us too, but it didn't. And I feel for the ones that it did or does. So I don't know. It's to me, it's just family. It's just doing what's best for that that does that little one. I hate the idea. I'm a big. We're big into helping foster agencies now because I hate that there's other kids out there that haven't had this opportunity to have a family. That breaks my heart more than anything now because I see what these children get to go through, and then they get to get through from the day one. But when you have a 16 year old that has been shoved all over foster care and never has that safety and that security. And then wondering every time somebody comes and rings the doorbell, whether they're leaving again, that's the stage I'm at now. So if you're at the early stage of adoption, God bless you, go do it. Don't let it hesitate. If you think maybe you should be childless, but you really want to have a child, look, you will love them to death. If foster is way to go, great. And if you then choose, it's not for you. That I, That's all great too. Yeah. And I think what becomes clear, and this is part of yours and my shared philosophy, I think, is don't overthink it. it especially now, when, in, in, like in the case of Kathy and I, we were older parents. So naturally, we're used to making a plan and working a plan and thinking things through. And with you, you didn't, especially with Sadie, you didn't have time to overthink it. Yeah, that was probably the easiest one, right? You want to? Yeah. <laughs> there was no thinking involved in that one. And I think if there's a message or a lesson or whatever, a model. It's that I know with you and Sarah, it's like you just can't love enough. There's just always more love. If you shove four more kids into that house of yours, and I don't know what they're. I was just going to say, if you called this up today and said, "Hey, there's another kid," we say, "All right, let's do it." All right, Tom. If there's anything, any, I'm going to give you the four. We Angie and I always quit that I always have to get the last word in, but I'm just going to give. <laughs> Just thank well, you. Just I realized I had a direction to take this in, and you think I'm live long enough to know just to let it go. I think just two guys talking about their adoption experience. Although, actually, let me ask you a question first, and then I'll leave it up to you to finish it up. Is there so many ways that even though you look at Abby and you look at me and you say there's no blood shared in those two? These guys say she has the beautiful little goy nose and blonde hair and blue eyes, and you got me as you know, a classic Semitic looking guy, but. There's so many ways she's like me. There's, and I don't think it's just because she grew mm-hmm. up around me. I just feel such so many innate characteristics. Do you feel that way with your two girls, the two last ones, that they, even though they're not your own, there's so many ways that they just even almost biologically feel like yours? 
I don't distinguish the day. I don't because I have yeah four other ones and stuff. And if you ask me which one was, you know, obviously you can tell because, but otherwise, feel wise, there's no there's no delineation in the sense of the heartstrings in the way. Not as tried as it sounds, just the idea that love knows no color. It's so obvious that you would you would say yeah, it doesn't. It's yeah, and uh, I just think it's yeah. I, I don't know. I don't now. It's just life. We look back at it now, and just it's just what it is. And we have things that come up that things are like they're just raising other kids, and some maybe to deal with adoption stuff. But uh, it's yeah, just keep on it. I hope just sharing this story it was my time to share the story. Just sharing a story is helps somebody. If it does. That's great. If it helps another little baby get a home or it helps you decide that you really want a kid and the Dave story is perfect. You don't have any, you want one. <laughs> All good, right? Yeah. So Tom, just in terms of, I think those are just beautiful last words. So I, I won't have you add any more to them. So I will say that if you talk a little bit about your total motion release, because Tom did come up with a magical formula that I've been using for the 20 years that I've known him. And I don't uh, want to, but, you know, my mind's still if they want to look up totalmotionrelease.com, they can as far as I, I, I don't want to swear. I just yeah. want to know that the man's a phenomenal has a method of physical therapy you can apply to yourself that's had remarkable results more than anything else. So have that. And Tom, if fathers or mother, if anybody wants to reach out to you and Sarah, is it okay if we put your email address in there and they could ask you questions? Sure. Yep. All right. So I'll put that into the, I'll put that in the show notes as well. And again, thanks for just coming on and uh, my solo version. I, I don't know why I was even thinking about what questions I want to ask you because your just story is so great. And it's one of those times where I just, again, I appreciate our friendship every day, but I think I appreciate it even more when I just hear you be yourself in this context. So dads, all I can tell you fathers is if you, whatever ideas you have about having some raising someone else's child or whatever it's that's all ego it's total nonsense and completely doesn't delineate in that way thank god we're all here to help man they just they help us and we help them and that's a beautiful thing uh, tom thanks a million everybody hey i appreciate it thanks for having me on Canaan Valley Spa is a world-class destination in Davis West Virginia providing an experience of wellness and comfort to visitors Go to www.canaanvalleyspawwv.com to learn more.